take the notes. I want you to look with me in Daniel chapter 7. We're not going to go back through the whole book, but look at verse number 15. Daniel 7 and verse number 15. Daniel says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Daniel is distressed in his spirit, the Bible says. Notice that we always speak, and when we speak about things and about being in trouble, we say that we are mind, body, and soul, is what we usually use. It's somewhat in that order. In Daniel's order today, it's different. His is soul, body, and mind. For some reason, his order is a little bit different than what we are accustomed to saying, and even in the Scriptures, than accustomed to saying. Loving the Lord God with all of your heart, with all, your, all these things. He says, I am distressed I am moved in my spirit. Daniel says that I can't can't be settled down. What Daniel is lacking is a Hebrew word called shalom. What he's lacking is, is the peace of God. Now, he has heard this message, Brother Mitch. He has heard these things out of this book, and he's seen these four beasts rise up from out of that, but he's also heard about how that the Son of Man would come. He's also heard about how the Ancient of Days will sit on his throne, amen, and that he will judge. But Daniel still, even though he knows God is coming and sending his son and that the Lord will sit on his righteous judge, the great white throne someday, he still turns around and says, but I'm distressed in my spirit. Paul was the same way. Paul was so excited about being saved. Paul was so overwhelmed about being saved that he wanted everyone to know the gospel. He he said, if I could get to Rome, then I could get the gospel to the world. Because if all roads lead to Rome, then evidently all roads lead out of Rome also. Paul said, if I could get there and get the gospel, he said, man, I could do that. But there were times in Paul's life where he said, my prayer, my desire for Israel is that they would be saved. Paul was so overwhelmed with the lostness of Israel and their, their blindness that they had because they rejected the Messiah, rejected Jesus Christ. He was so overtaken by that at some times that he sat back and he said that I wish, he said, if I could to be accursed from Christ, then I would never even know if, if my kinsmen would know them. Paul understood what it was like to be distressed in his spirit. He said, although I know all these things in Christ... Daniel said, my spirit troubles me. And let me say something to you. Christian, don't don't get so excited about going to heaven and walking on streets of gold and gates of pearl that you miss the fact that you should be sharing the gospel now because someone may not be going. That's the distressed feeling that Daniel was, was going through. He was moved to the fact that he said, all of this brings me joy, but this beast, this fourth one that's so diverse from all of the others, he said, it distresses me and it causes me trouble. Think about the dream that Daniel dreamed in this and about all the different beasts. Think about Daniel for a moment. Daniel is now in his older age. He's probably in his 70s when he has this dream in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. He's probably in his 70s. He was in his teens, and now he is older. And maybe Daniel's sitting there thinking, Brother Craig, maybe Daniel's going, if we can get through these years of Cyrus, if we can continue on through all this, maybe God would give us a reviving. 
Maybe, maybe Israel would repent, and that's what he's going through. Daniel was a student of the Word of God, and he knew how that when God brought them out of Egypt, how if they repented and they repented of their sins, and the Lamb covered their sins. They got out there, and immediately when they crossed the Red Sea and got to the waters of Marah, the well of wa- uh, uh, water at Marah, the bitter waters, that they complained that they grumbled when they got to Mount Sinai. They complained and grumbled and committed a horrible sin there that day, and thousands of them died. Daniel knew what it was like for Israel to come in the presence of God and then to move away and to come up and have revival and move away. He knew what it was like for them to go in and try to destroy the Amalekites, but yet then still keep some of them in their pocket. Daniel knew what it was like for Israel and the nation of Israel to be called the chosen of God and to go here one moment and then go into idolatry the next moment. He knew all of these things. And Daniel is praying every day. You remember he prayed at morning, he prayed at noon, and he prayed at evening. Why? Because the temple was destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. The temple is destroyed. And Daniel is praying at the time that the sacrifices would be done at the temple. The morning sacrifice, the noon sacrifice, and the evening oblation that they would call it, the sacrifice. Daniel was saying, it doesn't matter if there's a temple. He's saying, I'm going to continue to pray to God for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, Daniel understood what it was like. Ezra understood what it was like. Nehemiah understood what it was like. Amen. In Daniel chapter number 9, He prays, forgive us of our sins, we have sinned. Ezra chapter number 9, he says, forgive us of our sins, we have sinned. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, he says, forgive us of our sins, we have sinned. These are great godly men, men that were moving forward with God, but yet they still said, we did it, we did it. Now Daniel's praying every day, three times a day, and you have to think that Daniel's going, God, After these 70 years that you've established by the mouth of your prophet Jeremiah, you told us that it would be 70 years because we robbed from you the Sabbath days. For 490 years they robbed God of the Sabbath year. And God says you will return it and you will pay it back. And so now Daniel's probably praying, God, hopefully... Hopefully after Cyrus and this rule and this chastisement that you are bringing us through. Hopefully like you did the children of Israel in Egypt after 400 years you brought them out. Hopefully after these 70 years, God, you're going to bring your children out. And he's probably praying for a move of God and a revival and a refreshing time and a kingdom time. Amen. And then all of a sudden, God gives him a dream. God says, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is going to rise and he's going to fall. The Medes and the Persians, the bear with the ribs in its mouth is going to rise and fall. And you can't you see this wonderful dream that Daniel's having? He's like, yes, and after that, God, we're going to have a wonderful... Who, who is this leopard with four heads and bird wings? Who is this fourth beast that we can see? Daniel, hoping for a reviving, now sees that God has laid out the years. Some of you may think, well, that, that just can't be. The Word of God declares in Isaiah that he declares the end from the beginning. That he didn't come up with plan B when mankind sinned and sent Jesus to die on the cross. It says that Jesus was going to go to the cross and was going to be slain for the sins of the world before the foundations of the world were ever laid. Amen. So if you stop and think about it, Daniel is disturbed, or excuse me, he's distressed in his spirit. And he's like, Lord, what's this about? And the angel's standing by him and he wants to understand. Listen, the second thing is this, Daniel is disturbed in his heart, in his body. 
It's starting not only to move from Daniel's spirit, but it's starting to affect his body. You know, I like to give everybody that I know, I love to joke around and have a good time, and I like to give people what I call, and people get mad at me, but I like to give them what I call natural um, stress tests. You don't have to go to UAB to have a stress test. You just hang around here. I hide in the hallways, and I do all kinds of things. I, I miss Godsey at the, at the school. I, I get on the bus and hide and scare him half to death. And she goes, oh, you scared me to death. I was just checking two things, your heart and your sanctification. She passed. She didn't cuss, so she passed. Uh, but listen, Daniel is disturbed in his body. It's moving. It, and listen, when people are burdened like that, it does. It affects their bodies. It affects their heart. Daniel said in verse 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by, speaking about a celestial angelic being. And I asked him of the truth of all this. So he told me and made me to know the interpretation of the things. And look at what he says. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. That's the only information that Daniel got from this angelic being at the beginning. Daniel was distressed in his spirit. He was so messed up in his body and in his heart. He was disturbed. And he went over there. He was moved. Listen, I know that some of you think this, that you think, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus this. I'm going to ask him why this and why that. I'm pretty sure when you're standing in the presence of an almighty God who is holy, who is worthy, who is all-powerful, you're not just going to walk up to him and shake and nod your head at him. You're not going to go up to him and go, hey, homeboy, what's up? I need to know about this. That's not the way you're going to greet Jesus Christ. That's not the way you're going to greet God Almighty either. It's not going to happen. And Daniel had to overcome this kind of fear in himself to be able to go over to this being and say, hey, I need explanation. I'm disturbed. I am distressed. Man, my heart is beating 100 miles an hour. I was fine with the lion with the wings. I was fine with the bear with the ribs. And I'm okay and can kind of see that leopard and the grease and all that stuff. But that fourth one, man, there's something different. I need understanding. And the angel or the, the, that one there explains to him and says, well, the four beasts coming out of the sea are four kings and four kingdoms that will come. And then he goes right into the good news. But the saints of God, not only the saints of God, he says this, the saints of who? The Most High. The word there is Elion, and it means the one who is not just heaven, or excuse me, God of heaven, but he's God of heaven and earth. He is God of creation. He is higher than the highest, greater than the great. Amen? Elion, which is the Most High. I want you to look at these words. He says in verse number 17 or 18, he says, 18, he says, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom. Some of you may have a translation today that understands it in this way. It may be translated to receive the kingdom because that's exactly what this translation should say. It is a word in the Aramaic that is this word kebab or kebar and it means to receive something. I need to make sure that you understand this. There is no sword you hold in your hand. There is no shield that you can do. There is no strength of your own that you could overcome the kingdom of the Antichrist. It is Jesus Christ that will 
defeat him. It is not you. It is not me. We do not need to gather up today. There are people that teach this. There are people that are under the cloud of what we call Christianity that teach out of Joel chapter number 2 and also in the book of Matthew that the violent take it by force, that we are going to be this dead army raised up and we're going to take the kingdom by force and that we're going to have to fight for it and they have this Knights Templar kind of attitude and all of this stuff. I'm telling you right now, Jesus Christ gave his life for this. He died for the kingdom. He gave his life to establish this kingdom. There are no gun specs that you need. There are no sword or knife specs that you need. And I promise you, you can go and look it up. It's called Christian Militia. And they're building up this huge building of teaching you scopes and rifle scopes and gun and grain and how many feet travel per feet and second and all of these things in order to try to teach you to fight for it. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus fought the fight for your salvation. You will not fight for your salvation. You will not fight to go to heaven. You will not fight to do all of these things. It is that we will get to come and we will receive the kingdom. Amen. We will take it from his hand as he extends his hand out to us. It's no different than when God Almighty created all of these things that we see around us and he created the Garden of Eden and he created trees and fruit and everything and the herb that bore the next seed and it was seed inside itself. He created the fowls of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, all of these things. And the Bible says that he turns around, creates mankind, and he hands over the keys to them. Adam never looked and said, God, you made me. This belongs to me. Give me my keys. No, God said, Adam, I created you to be over all of these things and to give you dominion and therefore here. Why? Because that's a loving God. And that is exactly what will happen in the kingdom of heaven. We won't take it ourselves. We will receive it. Amen. If I was to hold out a $100 bill, which I will not do in the morning, if I was to hold out a $100 bill and told you that all you got to do is just come up here and receive it, you may say, you know what, I'm going to go take that thing. I'm going to do that. And that's what this scripture means. The Bible says in this last thing, it's not the last thing. It's just the last thing with the other subpoints. Don't close me off. Don't turn it off. We are getting to the most important thing. Perilous times will come. Disturbing things we will see. And Daniel was only looking at it as an image of a beast. Daniel wasn't looking at it as we look at it today. We're people, dismember babies. Where people can murder one another for shoes. Where people will rape and brutally beat men or women for fun. For, listen to me, for entertainment and for fun. To place it on video and on social media and do these wicked things. Daniel was disturbed by it. And I have a great concern, Brother Craig, that we are no longer disturbed by what goes on around us, but we are becoming numb and almost immune to it. Because we say statements like this. I don't get shocked very much anymore. Preachers who run around. Christians who do ungodly, ungodly things. And we sit back and we're just used to it. Before long, we're no longer disturbed or distressed in our spirit or in our hearts and body. But Daniel said... That answer is not sufficient for me. Daniel said, I want to know more. 
So Daniel is distorted. Look, this last thing, he's distorted in his mind. Daniel says that, man, look, I know what you said. I, I, I believe that the kingdom's coming. I, he, does, he did. Daniel believed that. But he sits there and he goes, but I cannot wrap my mind around that last beast. I can't get my head around it. And what Daniel is saying is what we should be saying. I cannot accept that in my thought. I cannot accept the fact that you would take someone and unmercifully beat or molest them. I cannot accept the fact that you would portionately or proportionately deliver children and then take them from the wound. I can't understand. We can't be satisfied with that no matter what laws are passed. No matter who okays it, we can't be satisfied with the fact that precious babies, lives, and other people are all this ungodly stuff is happening all around us. It should disturb us to our heart. It should distort our minds. We shouldn't be satisfied with those things. Don't get me wrong. We should not do like Eric Rudolph did years ago and bring more sin on top of the sin that was already happening. But we should be distorted and disturbed in our minds to where we don't sit back and we go, well, we're just used to it. We shouldn't be used to it. You're a believer? Are you a Christian? Are you a born-again child of God? Then you should not be used to sin. You should not be used to it to where you don't have enough guts in you to change the channel. You should not be used to it to where you don't have enough guts in you and enough spirit of God in you where you throw the phone away or the computer away and get yourself away from ungodly things such as pornography and all of this junk. If you're a believer, it should not be something that you get accustomed to. You should constantly not fit in. You should be a peg that never fits into any hole of this earth. Because why? You will not fit in. I can't stress it enough that Jesus said, If they hated me, they will hate you also. And we're so wrapped up in fitting in. Staying the same, going with the flow, allowing everything else to just kind of come. And we go, well, you know what? Commercials nowadays, I mean, they're just getting worse, to, worse and worse, and we just need to go ahead and look at them. I can remember when my boys were young years ago in the Victoria's Secrets, which you don't have a lot of secrets. Victoria's Secret commercials would come on. You're trying to watch a ball game. You're trying to watch whatever. We're trying to watch SpongeBob. And these commercials would come on and my boys would watch me and I would cover my eyes. And I would tell them, cover your eyes. Why? Because my eyes should be for my wife. Right? Amen. And if you want to show your wife that you love her, you turn that garbage off instead of watching it in front of them. Amen. And let them know that you're the only one that I want to see like that. You're the only one that I love like that. I don't want to see her, right? And you need to do it not only for you. I need to do it for yourself so you don't lust and do those things. But what happens to us is, is that they continually put them out there. More and more and more. Some of the worst commercials. You can't even listen to the radio programs without them talking about women things and men things. And I'm like, man, turn the music back on. Because you can't even. It's like good grief. Church, we should not be used to this. Our minds should be distorted and disturbed by what we see around us every day. Daniel's was. Daniel said in verse number 19, he says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. 
which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and the others which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth to speaking great things, or very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. You're looking at this and you're going, oh my goodness, what in the world are we talking about? You remember that he's showing him through this symbolism. And what we've walked through in the book of Revelation, that this is speaking about not only when Rome rises, up as they did and as Daniel could see in that vision as they, we see it in history looking back but it's also talking about another kingdom that would come out. If you notice, it kept saying that out of that kingdom this would arise. Out of that kingdom this would arise. And what it means is, is there's this underlying subtleness that means that this empire is going to go all the way through the ages until we finally see that one horn that comes out of those ten and tears down three and he's going to come up. It says he will speak great things it says in Daniel that he will have eyes like a man and mouth speaking great things. And you say, well, brother, see, what is that talking about? It speaks about the kingdom of the Antichrist. It, the, the Antichrist is this, church. The kingdom of the Antichrist that will come someday is, is you have to understand this, that everything Satan does, he cannot create anything, Trey. He has no creation power at all. Satan could not create a garden of wickedness in order to take them out of the Garden of Eden, Cody, and put them over. In the, he couldn't create anything. Only thing he can do is twist and alter the truth of what God has already established. That's why his first lie to Eve was what? God says that you will surely die. You shall not surely die. And the Lord knows that in you, when you eat in this day that you'll become as God's knowing good and evil. Only thing he could do is counterfeit what God had already created. And so Satan is going to ride that bench all the way until the end of times. And when we get all the way through it all, you understand that we serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That they are all three in one, wrapped up in the Trinity. Satan also has his satanic trinity in the end times in the book of Revelation. He has who? Satan, the dragon, that old serpent, Slewfoot, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. He's got a lot of names. He has the Antichrist, which is going to come in as we understand what? He's going to be everything that Christ is not. Anti-Christ, right? And then we know that that false prophet will arise, which is like the anti-Holy Spirit. And people go, well, why would Satan want to do that? Because he is going to delusion everyone to believe a lie. He is going, and his pattern is, is to make everyone in the church become disappeared or, or non-existent or non-powerful. His whole mission, even after you were saved, you think the devil gives up on you when you get saved? <laughs> You're crazy. He's always coming after you, but you remember now he's like a chihuahua dog with no teeth. He can't hurt you. All he is is bark, and he comes at you, but he's not giving up because why? He wants you to get complacent. He wants you to become used to sin and used to things that are happening. He wants you just to go to your church, do your worship, and go home. Never affect the world. That sound familiar? It's what's happening. He wants to create places where you can still do exactly what you want to do out in the world, but you can come to church and feel good about yourself. You're no different. You're not changed. You still live exactly the same. But yet the only thing different is, is you just come to church and sit for an hour or two. No different. Satan's got us right where he wants us. You know why? Because we're used to sin. We're used to it all. 
As a matter of fact, the church has become so used to sin that they're in it again. They're doing things that are sinful, living like the world. There's no living above reproach. And when you talk about it, people blow up like bullfrogs. You see, if you could just see the vision and the views that I get to see. I mentioned something about living. You say you're Christian, you live like another way. People go, turn me off. It's fine. Because you're turning the Lord off and you're, you're, you're turning the Spirit of God off. And you're in a dangerous situation. Dangerous situation. Live like you want. And I promise you, you may find out that it won't take you where you think you're going. You can't do that. Daniel said, let me tell you about the kingdom of the Antichrist. He said it's going to be everything that Christ is. He says it's going to be false. Listen to these last things that he says in verse number 19. He says, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast that was diverse from all the others. Exceeding dreadful teeth of iron, nails of brass, devoured and broken pieces. And if it wasn't enough that it broke in pieces with its mouth, it stepped all over the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were in his head and of the other which came up before whom the other three fell. He says, even of that horn, it had eyes and a mouth speaking very great things. He says, and it looked more stout than the other ones. It had strength more than all of the others. And it says, and I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints. But look at this. It says, and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. And shall be diverse from all kingdoms. And shall devour, look at this word, devour the whole earth. And shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them and shall be diverse from the first. And he shall subdue three kings and shall speak great words against the Most High, Elion, Almighty God, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. And you say, Brother Steve, what does that remind us of? Look at these scriptures in Revelation chapter 13. He says, And I stood upon the sands of the sea and saw the beast rise up out of the sea. Well, well, well. There's a coinky-dinky right there. I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. <clears throat> it had seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns were ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard. Well. <clears throat> and his feet were like the feet of a bear. <clears throat> and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. If you look at this, Daniel said lion, bear, and leopard. John the Revelator said what? Leopard, bear, and lion. He went in reverse because Daniel was looking forward to when it came. John is looking back as it all came to be. Amen. What a beautiful truth that we have in the Word of God. And the dragon, talking about Satan, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded into death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. You say, what does that mean? It means that just as Jesus Christ gave his life and that is how we have salvation he is also sister Martha going to fool the whole world by having this deathly thing and it appears as he's dead and it appears as he comes back to life so that people will believe that he's the one it's going to be a deception Look what the Bible says. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? It says, Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. Daniel said it would have eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things. 
It says, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Daniel said that it would be for a time and times and a season of times. The Bible says that he opened his mouth and blasphemy unto God and blasphemed his name and the tabernacle and them that dwelt in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. You remember Daniel said that the saints would be overcame. All of this stuff would happen. And the Bible says that he would overcome them and power was given unto him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. All that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Bear with me just for a few more minutes. The Bible says that this king, Antichrist, lowercase k, Antichrist is going to come on the scene. I have to tell you, Hitler was not the Antichrist. Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, one or two, we're not the Antichrist. Go home and look it up. Go Google, because that's what we do with our Bible studies, right? Go Google the Antichrist and look at images. Everybody. Hillary Clinton. I was supposed to wipe my face when I did that. But. They all say everybody's the Antichrist. Everybody, and there can be many lowercase a Antichrists. Was Hitler Antichrist? I, I agree. I believe that he was but he is not the Antichrist. But so many people, when Hitler came on the scene, many ministers was preaching that and saying it's the end times, the end times. And now what we have is we have, when we preach it today, people do us like a meteorologist that has said a tornado's coming and the tornado hasn't come. Then before long, people go, oh, you're just crying wolf. See, there was a difference from the preachers in the days of Hitler than in the days that we live today, men. And the fact is, is that Israel became a state again and became recognized as a nation again after thousands of years in 1948. That was a fulfillment of God's prophecy. As a matter of fact, it was one of the last fulfillments of God's prophecy. And the Bible told us that Jesus looked at those disciples and said, this temple will be destroyed and we rebuild it in three days. All these things are going to come to pass. And he says, and I tell you, this generation shall not pass away until they're all fulfilled. And some of you think that scripture means, well, Peter and John and James and all them, them guys are still alive because Jesus ain't come back yet. It's not what it said. No, when that first fulfillment happened, they were all there in that generation, and they saw it all. Even John himself on the Isle of Patmos saw and witnessed all of these things. He witnessed Titus as he marched in, and they took over Jerusalem and destroyed the, everything to where they even burned it down, Brother Matt, and they took pickaxes and dug it up because the foundation, they wanted it destroyed, and they were thinking because the gold had melted in there, and they were trying to get that, but they were fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus said there will be no stone left upon another. He said foundation will be over with. Amen. That generation didn't pass till they saw those things being fulfilled. We have seen in some of us in our generation and time, Israel become a state again. And I wonder, I wonder, I'm not telling you the time frame, but I wonder if God is ready now. I wonder if all this fulfillment has happened. What separates us from years ago is that we've seen this happen to Israel. And the only thing that we're waiting on is the rapture of the church. The only thing that we're waiting on is for him to call us out of here. And you say, I wonder, Brother Steve, when he will call. The Bible says, no man knows the hour nor the day wherein the Son of Man cometh. Even the Son himself does not know the day. It's not until the Father looks to him and says, go get your bride. All of these things will begin to take place. But I told you that Jesus says, you can discern the wind and you can discern the skies, but you can't discern spiritual things. You know why? Because they weren't listening. When the branch of the fig tree is tender, you need to get ready. And I'm telling you now, you need to be prepared. 
You said, Brother Steve, do you believe that we could live in the last days? I believe with all my heart we're living in the last days. Paul said it. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last days now. Well, Brother Steve, I've just heard it my whole life. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of Christ will come someday. Let me do this, Brandon. Come on. Let me share with you about the kingdom of Christ. Daniel said the kingdom of the Antichrist would come and all this bad stuff will happen. This is good stuff. I hope that you can contain yourself more than you are now. Daniel chapter number 7 verse 22 says that all this stuff happened. Look, this is my favorite part of Daniel. Well, in this chapter. I got other favorites. It says all this stuff happened. And look at these words, until. And what he's saying is, he told us in the scriptures before that the saints are going to be whooped. Anybody know what it is to be whooped in a ball game? Huh? Anybody ever played? You got, you got whooped. He says they're going to be whooped. And it says, until the Ancient of Days came. Now, wait just a minute. The Ancient of Days is a description of God the Father. God the Father's not coming. God the Son is coming. But the Bible says in Isaiah that his name shall be Counselor, Wonderful, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and the Everlasting Father. What it means is, is Jesus says, if you know the Father, you know me. If you know me, you know the Father. Amen. If you know the Ancient of Days by his name, you would know that I am his child, and I am the Ancient of Days also. Amen. It says the Ancient of Days will come, and judgment will be given unto the saints and the most high and the time that the saints possess the kingdom. The Bible says in Daniel chapter number 7 verse 26, look, but the judgment shall set. Talking about God himself, Jesus was set. It says, and they shall take away his kingdom and consume and destroy it unto the end and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven. It shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions, it says, shall serve and obey him. Second Timothy chapter 2 says this. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. How many of you have been dead with Christ? You have been dead in your trespasses and sins, but now because of his death, you're alive. You're saved. Anybody, anybody saved? Amen. Well, the Bible says this. If we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. Amen. If we deny him, hey, he will deny us. Amen. Revelation chapter 2 verse 26 says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And they, he shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of potter, and they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. The Bible says that James and John, the sons of thunder, came to Jesus one day. Actually, they got their mommy to ask this question. <laughs> could, could my boys have the, the, the right hand of the Father, the throne, and sit on, the, on God's right hand? And he said, you don't even know what you're asking. Hey, th that's Jesus' throne. And the whole thing that Jesus says to this church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, he says, look, he said, you'll not sit on my right side. You'll be with me. You'll have the same authority as I do, the same position as I do, amen. There's no God that does that. He says, I'll die, give it all to you, amen. He says in verse number, chapter 5, verse number 10, and he has made us our God, Excuse me, made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads 
or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. How, how awesome. It says that these kingdoms will rise and they will fall. Brother Bo, they will come and they will go. Like the ebbing of the tide coming in and they will go out. He said Nebuchadnezzar will rise, he'll fall. Cyrus, Darius, they'll rise and they'll fall. Alexander the Great, both he and Shannara will rise and fall. Rome, Julius Caesar, Claudius, Caligula, Nero, Domitian, rise, fall, rise, fall, rise, and fall. But he said this fourth beast is going to be a kingdom that it's going to have such an impact not on a nation but on the whole world. He says this Roman kingdom will be almost like living for a long time throughout this whole world. And some of you are tempted to say right now, Rome has come and gone, Brother Steve. With the fall of Constantine and others, Rome exists no more. And then I remind you, in 1957, how many of you remember 1957? Good-looking cars back in 1957, right? Still ugly folks, but good-looking cars. How many of you remember in 1957 where a group in Europe called the European Economic Community or Union, the EEU or the EEC, in 1957, they signed a treaty. Would you like to know what the name of it was? Sure we would, Brother Steve. Please tell us. The Roman Peace Treaty. Named after Rome, throughout the years, in the beginning, there were seven countries that jumped on board. Then there were ten. Then there were twelve. Now there's 27. But it's still, the life of Rome still breathes or still beats it beats its heart throughout all the world. It's not just a Roman thing in the Vatican area. Even the Bible says in the book of Revelation that this beast that comes out of the sea with seven heads and ten horns, that he will make his, make his kingdom, earthly kingdom, on the city of seven hills or seven mountains. And even in Rome today, you'll find that it's called the city of seven hills, Aventine, Capitoline, Esquiline, Viminar, all of these hills. And you go, brother, see, that's just coincidence. Well, it's an amazing one. And what I'm trying to tell you today is that while we sit back and watch our favorite episodes of our sitcoms, the world is slowly going by, day after day. And there's no other kingdom that is going to rise and fall. Rome has literally touched this whole world. Every nation, country you go to, Rome has impacted economically and religiously. They impact every country we go to. When you go into Belize, the Roman Catholic churches, the Roman money, all of those things, it's impacted the whole world. And God has told us in a scripture that is ancient, ancient words that some people say are no longer valid. He said, when you see this stuff happening, listen to my terminology, listen to my translation. You need to wake up. So you say, Brother Steve, what are we supposed to do with all of this information? Number one, you need to be saved. Yes. 
If you're not saved, you need to be saved. You say, Brother Steve, how do we do that? We confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That means you give up all rights to yourself and He is your Lord. You don't get to say after you're saved, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. If He is Lord, He's got to be Lord all the way. Or you may hear, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? I'm not going to go into the Scriptures, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it explains all of this, that the dead in Christ shall rise, and all those that are gathered together shall meet Him in the air. And you know what it says at the end of verse 18? If you wanted to look at that one, Patty, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We should have the comfort to know that we're saved. You should be able right now in your own heart and mind to say, I know I'm saved. Brother Steve, I don't need anybody to convince me. I know that I'm saved. Second thing is this. You need to be sure. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Steve? You need to be sure of your walk. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 talked about the rapture of the church. We need to make sure that we're saved. But 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 says this. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. He said, I shouldn't have to tell you about Daniel again. I shouldn't have to tell you that. He says, what? For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as a travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, listen to these words. Listen, church. You are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, listen to these words. You should be sure of your walk. If you know this about yourself, therefore, let us not sleep. Wake up. Let us not sleep and do as others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night, they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night, but let us who have the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and of love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. By our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Listen, for God's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And then here it is again. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you do. Comfort one another with these words. These words shouldn't terrify you. If I say you need to be saved, that shouldn't scare you. The only way that it would shake you is if you're not saved. If I tell you you need to be sure of your salvation, that shouldn't bother you. You should be sure of your walk with the Lord. You should be ready to meet Him right now. The last thing is this, we should be serving. Good grief, we need to be serving. Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 26, it says, Forsake not, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It says, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What does it mean? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. If you're a believer, listen to me. I'm going to hurt your feelings before you leave. You're a believer. You say you're a Christian. You should be meeting with the people of God as much as you can and not as little as you can. The time of COVID, the numbers are down. The masks are down. If you can gather everywhere else, you need to gather in the house of God. I ain't trying to hurt your feelings and stub your toes and all that stuff. But this garbage of, well, I ain't got to go to church. You ain't got to go to church to be saved. You can do it wherever. No, no, no. That's not what he said. He said, as the day approaches, as the coming of Jesus approaches, it says, Brother Brian, you need it more and more. You need it more and more and more and more. Listen, we should be serving. I want to ask you this question. We'll close. Are you excited and encouraged 
And are you a living example of Jesus Christ? Ask yourself this question. Now, here's the biggest thing of all. If you thought that other made you mad, are you living in rebellion? Rebellion would mean, receive, I'm going to do what I want and then let the grace of God cover it up. That's presumptuous sins. Rebellion. That's what you have. You have a rebellious heart. Now listen to me. Pay attention. Turn, turn here, Nate, up. Listen to me. I'm serious. You living in rebellion? Here's the second one. Are you living in retirement? Do you sit around and say, I'm going to let those young people just do it all? I've had my day. I did my tour duty. I served my time. I got to tell you, this is not Vietnam. This is not World War I or two. You don't get to do a tour of duty. Your tour of duty is not done until you're done. And too many Christians today are sitting back living in retirement. I did all that stuff. I'm just going to sit back. What you need to do is get up. And you say, well, brother, see, nobody asked me. You need to get up. You need to get up. Nobody asked me either. Nobody asked me to get up today and preach. My wife didn't roll over the bed and look at me this morning and go, how hey, you think you're going to preach this morning? No, with or without, I'm going to preach. I'm, go I'm going to serve God. Here's the last thing. Are you living ready? Absolutely. You've heard it thousands of times from preachers. Are you living ready? Right now. Right now. It's over. Boom. It's over. Done. Christ, in the twinkling of an eye, Craig, we're gone. There is no time to go, hang on a minute. Lord, I'm so sorry for doing this right here. Please, please, please forgive me. No time for that. There's going to be no time for you, Brother Craig, to get things right with less. No time for that. Are you ready? Seriously, are you ready? It's, it's one of those three things. You're either in rebellion, you're in retirement, and you don't draw a pension until you get to heaven. Or you're living ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. There's a song that says that over and over. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home.